Hello and welcome to the ASB Investment Podcast, a show that keeps you up to date on the markets and helps you make smart choices with your investments. I'm your host, Chris Tennant-Brown, and today I'm joined by Slade Robertson, Managing Director of Devon Funds. We've had a couple of unexpected lockdowns up here in Auckland, and that means it's been a while between podcasts. So today, Slade and I will be catching up on the big financial stories of the last few weeks, including recent interest rate adjustments, the state of the New Zealand share market, and of course, the much-awaited rollout of the COVID vaccine. Hey, Slade, well, welcome to the to the booth. We've we've met many times over coffees and uh, and or maybe a beer every now and then and debated the problems of the world. But I think this is the first time that we've uh, met and we've been recorded. Uh, and and sat in a studio together. Yeah, look, it's it's great to be here, Chris. So um, you know, really good to see you, and obviously a lot going on, which is you know ex- exciting. For, hopefully, you know, for us, obviously, and uh, and hopefully for your uh, your listeners as well. Yeah, a lot of the uh, investors will be uh, will be familiar with uh, with your name and with uh, with Devon uh, as one of the managers that appears in our uh, in our portfolios. And I just thought it was a great opportunity for us to get together and talk about. Uh, What's uh, been a pretty weird, uh, pretty weird year so far? How, how have you been going in all the uh, in all the lockdowns? Yeah, look, it's it's, it's gone pretty well actually. I, I, it was a, an amazing change, obviously, for everybody when we go back over the past twelve months. But it's 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 been quite incredible. I think you know technology clearly has has enabled um, large parts of the world to essentially carry on life and business as 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 much as normal as it possibly could, and very different to what it would have been you know in the years past. Um, so now everything's gone pretty well for us. You know, we've um, uh, within our business, uh, we've very fortunate. We've got some really talented people that have created systems and uh, which have enabled us to essentially work as normal from home and um, and you know financial markets have been you know quite extraordinary during that period so from that side of things it's been it's been you know I think in this in this job you 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 every year is memorable for one reason or another but I think the past 12 months has been quite extraordinary and and one which um, you know has been challenging and yet one which I've really enjoyed being part of and and how about you you've you've been working remotely as well for for large chunks of it yeah, and us economists are known for being a bit uh, reclusive sometimes, and <laughs> and I think half of the team's actually happier just sitting at home, buried up to their elbows in a spreadsheet, um, crunching crunching numbers. But I've I've missed a bit of the people contact, and um, you know, I quite enjoying getting back into the office. So that I've liked that the uh, that the lockdowns have been quite short. The main thing for me is that I felt sorry for all the events that they've disrupted. I w- I wanted to go to the um, the Napier Art Deco Festival and that got had to get cancelled. The America's Cup going on now is, is a lot uh, smaller event. It feels uh, with with the with the crowd limits and that sort of stuff. So that I've just sort of been really pleased with how much stuff we are doing compared to other parts of the world. But but felt really sorry for some of the you know events that have got cancelled on not being quite what they would have normally been as yeah. someone working in the city these days. Yeah, I think that's really fair, mate. I think one of the um, if I'm looking for a silver lining and everything that's gone on, it's been the fact that 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 my kids who are all teenage children have had to be at home with mum and dad, which uh, which is a reasonably unique experience in, in recent times. But um, but no, that's been wonderful. And um, but yeah, no, look, it, it does feel you know it's really interesting, isn't it? How quickly you know the you know the, the world seems to be repairing itself and 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 clearly we can have a chat about vaccines and around you know, all those sorts of things and how they're contributing into the world that we operate in today. But um, you know, it's 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 a really wonderful sort of um, I guess view into into the way that humanity works. We are just desperate to be social animals, and, and and as soon as the door is open for us to get back to a more normal existence and 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 pattern of living, there's such an appetite for it, isn't there? And yeah, you know, which is great. 
Yeah, yeah. And and speaking of vaccines, I have to uh, confess that one of the conversations we had over a, a cup of coffee, probably when we got let out of the, the first lockdown around May, is you were saying, oh, I think vaccines will really turn this thing around. And I said, they are years away, mate. This is going to take a long, long time. And you were certain that this would be one of the quickest turnarounds for vaccine and that was a key part of the recovery. And you and you were right. Here we are a year um, pretty much to the month um, after we uh, first started getting cases here that we're now delivering um, vaccines here in New Zealand. Yeah, it's, look, it's amazing turnaround. It, look, 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 it is amazing, and it's um, look. If, if we went back to the very early stages in it, and I, and I think you and I had this discussion at the time, I was quite cynical about about the fact as to whether or not we would see a vaccine in the timeframes that that some were talking, and that really came on the back of you know two decades of experience investing into the healthcare space and just seeing how difficult it can be to determine and develop a vaccine which is effective and has been sufficiently trialled and, and, and regulated and essentially authorised for delivery. Um, but the thing that I, I picked up reasonably quickly into the process was just how committed um, governments were, um, regulators were, um, how much money was flowing into the healthcare space in terms of developing this the, this programme. And you know we, we are really fortunate in what we do is in that we get access to to lots of um, amazing people and organisations around the world who are involved in this space and, and just the more conversations we had the more evident it became to me was that we were more likely than not to see some progress with it and I think um, you know we, 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 we clearly are in a uh, in probably a better position than I thought we'd be at the time frame that we are in um, but it, it really does feel like we have a platform to at least begin to make some steps towards normality again. Yeah, and I, I feel a little bit the same that the pace of recovery is stronger than I than I thought. And I've I've said many a time it's as an economist, um, we're never like being wrong. We we accept <laughs> that we uh, that we will be hopefully um, not off as often as we're right. But it's good being wrong when you're wrong about how quickly an economy can recover. It's just been better than uh, than than we expected. And and here we are. The unemployment rate is much lower than we expected. If we use just basic GDP as a measure, the economy's got back to the sort of size it was prior to the pandemic quicker than we thought. We've still got plenty of challenges, but it's a good situation. And you know, thinking of things that have kept us busy this year, this big interest rate adjustment's been the thing for me. We've, I've had to redo our reports and outlook for term deposits, redo our reports and outlook for, for mortgages, and, and people are just saying, well, where are these rates going to... To, to, to settle, you know, we've gone from worried about a negative official cash rate last year to now talking about when might the Reserve Bank start raising interest rates. What's your take on that, and how's it impacting um, things at Devon? Yeah, look, at, like, I, th- I think um, w- w- when I when I think about the past couple of months in markets, uh, I think this this issue that you're talking about in a, in a New Zealand context is, is very relevant. But it's been really so much of it's been driven by what we're seeing in terms of the repricing of interest rates offshore, and um, you know the, the the commentaries and the commitments we're seeing coming out of out of central banks in this part of the world and in places like the US is that they remain absolutely committed to to maintaining a a very supportive set of policies and. It doesn't appear as if we're likely to see any tightening of that in, in, in the short 
term anyway. Um, but what we are seeing is we're seeing the steep stimulus curve. And, um, and, and what that means is that we're seeing um, longer dated bonds, such as the US 10-year treasuries, have moved from trading at around, I think you'll know this better than I do, mate, but around 90 basis points at the end of, uh, end of 2020 to trading quite recently at around 1.6, which is a massive move. And, um, and, and, and that really, you know, I, I really love watching the way in which, finance, which interest rate markets do, do, do move and shift. And I, I heard it quite an eloquently put the other day in that there are two essential stages to, to looking at it, and I th- I've got sympathy for this. The first one is, is, a, is a reflective stage where you get interest rates moving in response to a, a recovering world. And so as the world gets better and we start to repair and activity begins to normalise, um, we also then see, in accordance with that, we see inflation expectations begin to pick up. And, and that's led a large part of this repricing up of these interest rates. And, and that's actually not a bad time for equities, though. Um, that is, a, the, the, you know, what you often find is you get a, um, a, a pretty strong positive correlation in the direction between equities moving higher at the same time that interest rates do. The second stage is one where it's more restrictive as opposed to being reflective. And, and that's when interest rates or well, the cost of capital becomes prohibitive to, um, to economic progress and growth. Now, we're miles away from that. In, in my thinking, um, but but what this has really catalysed um, from an investment perspective in the equity space has been um, a couple of really important things. You know, you've you've got to be if you're an investor now, you need to be really careful about owning businesses which have lots of debt. Now, that's something that you and I would talk about, and we have talked about it many times over the years, mate. And um, and uh, but you are particularly vulnerable at a time when you're having to reprice large chunks of debt in a balance sheet when prices are going up. So that's that, that's reasonably obvious. Um, another sort of pool of, of, of equities that I'm just quite conscious of at the moment is those businesses where you've seen this big redirection of capital and investor flows away from the traditional income spots such as term deposits and, and, and bonds and, into high-yielding sort of equity securities. And, and that makes a lot of sense, but the, if, if, those, if those dividends that they're paying aren't growing in accordance with inflation and, and, and moving with you know the general sort of trend of the economy, then they get really challenged by a situation where interest rates start to move higher. And so that's a space you need to be careful of. We're really lucky in this part of the world that you've got just this massive swathe of of really good dividend yield paying companies, which can still grow. And and so we, you know, we spend a lot of time looking at that. And the final thing that's really happened as a consequence of it, um, Chris, is that you are it, it has catalyzed this rotation away from from growth companies, which often get sort of talked about in the same context as, as technology type businesses, um, back into value. And and the reason this happens is that when, when, you, when you look at these growth companies, lots of the earnings and the cash flow that they promise they will pay you in due course are quite long dated in nature. Now, as investors, what we need to do is we need to try and price that today and so the way that you do that is you take this sometimes you know far dated expectations and you try and bring it back using interest rates now when those interest rates go up there is a there's quite a detrimental effect on the valuation of those businesses and so you're seeing a lot of money rotating out of out of those sorts of businesses back into value and when I talk about value um, the, the sort of companies I've, I'm, I'm referring to there are ones which are typically more economically sensitive and so their 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 fortunes are driven by the economic experience that we get in New Zealand Australia and further abroad um, and they're also companies which traditionally are much easier to value in traditional um, more conservative frameworks, and uh, you know, and so you know, and again, that gives me a lot of comfort. It's what we do at Devon. Um, you know, we, we 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 tend to play much more in that space because we are super conscious about capital protection as well. And I think, you know, some of the valuation metrics that get used for some of these high growth companies, um, you know, they they at times just look 
you know, quite ludicrous, and uh, and there's a lot of risk involved in them. So you're getting this rotation out of those names back into these more traditional businesses, and and um, and I think there's a lot more capital protection implicit in, in, in that shift as well. Yeah, it's 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 pretty interesting this whole interest rate thing, how it permeates through. I mean, as, as a starting point, interest is an expense for a business, so the lower it is, the the, the better it is. But like like you're saying, when we're doing cash flow modelling and, and having to use some sort of interest rate, it's tricky. I mean, I used to use the 10-year government bond when I was at uh, university, uh, but back then that was, I think, somewhere of 7 or 8%. I'm sounding old now. <laughs> and uh, I, I did a, um, a bit of an update with um, with one of the universities and, and, and asked, hey, what do you use? And they said, oh, 10-year government bond. Well, what number? Because it's been anywhere between 0.5% and 2% just within the last 12 months. It's um it's really hard when these interest rates have got so low and are moving around so much, and how many things they impact. And yeah, look, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. And, and so what you're talking about there is interesting because it's it's that discounting effect back on these future cash flows. Um, other ways of thinking about valuation and markets are things traditionally people like to use, say, price to earnings ratio. You mm. know, and all that is doing is essentially taking the price of a stock or a market and dividing it by the earnings it generates over. And, and again, typically that is on the on the on the next twelve months of uh, um, in, in front of you. And um, but part of the problem is we, we look at those today and we think you know the markets look so expensive. But one of the lessons that I've learned really since the um, the end of the GFC. It's just the importance of, of of always being super conscious around what what your alternative use of capital is, and um, and in the space that you and I operate in, it's um, it, it so often is just the interest rate slash the bond yields that you can invest into as an alternative. And so when you start looking at valuations in a relative sense between the two different sort of asset classes, you get a much more favourable uh, um, outcome with respect to looking at equities and evaluation um, sort of uh, framework as well. Yeah, I remember my early days at ASB and. Um and getting involved with uh, with you guys in the New Zealand share market, we were putting together the the direct selections, which was a, a you know a pretty snazzy way of getting direct exposure into the New Zealand share market. And and like today, when we when we thought about what it would uh, return, we sort of thought, oh, maybe eight to ten percent. Hopefully, half of that through dividends, half through capital growth, and that sounded pretty good. Until I go out and try and sell it, and ASB's got a term deposit rate of seven yeah. percent, and people go, "Why would I? Why would I take that risk when I can get such a high return from taking next to no risk in a term deposit?" Whereas with term deposits getting down to less than one percent, you know, things like ASB securities, managed funds have got so busy, and people have accepted a higher level of risk to, say, buy a, a bunch of utilities and get maybe a 4 or 5% dividend stream. So there's a bit of a question mark over that now when people are going, where might interest rates settle? But I'm with you in thinking that we're a long, long way off things like short-term deposits, the official cash rate starting to rise. But this longer-term adjustment, although it's causing a bit of volatility, is a good thing in the sense that people are pricing in a, a better 10 years ahead of us and uh, and a slightly more normal 10 years than ahead of us than what we worried about a, um, a little while ago. Now, if I look at, um, that explains some of the adjustments too, but also if we look at which markets are going well and which are going poorly, um, you know, the, the Dow, the S&P 500 in the States, they're only within a, a couple of percent of their all-time highs, especially after the big um, bounce we saw um just this week. Um, but the NASDAQ's down around 10% and, and so is our market. Uh, is this also some thoughts about how COVID-19 mm. may be a less of a big deal in the future? How's, how's this impacting 
segments of the share market? Yeah, look, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a really great question. I think it, when, you, when you talk about the NASDAQ versus, say, the Dow and the S&P, um, the NASDAQ is, um, I, I guess, the, the poster child for, for these growth-type stocks we talked about earlier on. And so as you're getting this rotation out of growth back into, into your more traditional businesses and your valuation-supported stocks, that, 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 is, that is why you're seeing an underperformance coming in, in that space relative to the more traditional markets. A little different in New Zealand. And, and I think you know what we've seen in New Zealand recently is, um, is, is, a, is a really – Interesting way to try and explain it is to look at some of the more idiosyncratic factors which which define this market in this part of the world. And I guess one of the the, the key aspects about the uniqueness of New Zealand is that it is a really small market, and it is very concentrated in certain sectors. And when you get one or two of the of the key stocks underperforming, it really does have a quite a dramatic impact right across the market, which is really different to to Australia and to into the more developed um, you know, Western markets that we see, where you know you can have thousands of companies trading on a, on a on a market, and so whatever one of them does is quite irrelevant. You know what's been really interesting is is in the last little while we've had the um, the reporting season, so I'll just give you a bit of context there, just in terms of what we've been through, and um, and the reporting season we we get it twice a year, and and it's a it's a wonderful time for us as investors because you get a really concentrated set of information coming through from the companies that we own, um, and the and the boards that run these businesses and the management teams as to how things are really going and and how they see the next sort of twelve to eighteen to twenty four months for those businesses. So it's, a, it's 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 really great, and if we um if I go back sort of you know, twelve months ago for New Zealand and Australia, and we sat there on the on the on the precipice of of this of this of this global pandemic and 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 the outlook for corporates in this part of the world. And you would have seen this at the, the ASB um, was so uncertain and so bleak, and, and it was defined by companies coming out and saying, you know, we're going to withdraw earnings guidance, we are going to cut dividends, we are going to raise capital. And all of that made absolute sense at the time because, you know, when you don't have any, when you have so many sort of externalities going on which are potentially so negative, you do need as a business to take a conservative approach. But now with the, with the wonderful gift of, of hindsight, we can look back and, and, and it appears as if that was a very conservative set of positioning taken by these companies because of what you've described before around just how strong the economic environment has actually mm. been. And so, so where we've just got to in the past um, sort of four weeks has, has been this reporting season in Australasia. And, you know, the... Um, the outcome that we saw in Australia, and this is a, a long way of getting to, to, to answering your question around New Zealand, was that it was it's now being described as probably the best reporting season that we've had in the last twenty years, and you know th- that is. That is again because people went into it with with expectations which were still set in this theme of of uncertainty. Yeah, you wouldn't have picked that twelve months ago. That would be saying that in early twenty twenty one, right? Totally, exactly right. And I think you know the the, the end result has been that we've we're seeing actual delivered earnings come in at around four point eight billion dollars in Australia more than what the analysts had expected. So a huge number, um, and a lot of that is because of the, the the very strong revenue environment we've had off a strong economy. Um, we've seen great cost management from from management teams. Pretty conservative capital positioning, and again, that actually has translated into to massive uplifts coming through in dividend expectations, which have have lifted in Australia by about nine point two percent for the year into June twenty one. Again, if you take that back into real numbers, it equals about six point two billion dollars of potential capital coming back to Australian investors. But where that's really interesting for us is that again, if you roll into New Zealand, we also had a really good reporting season, and so the majority of companies did a really good job. And yet, the New Zealand market was down seven percent um, during that reporting season that was the second worst equity market performance that we've seen in the past 20 years during a reporting season. And and, and so you you ask the question, you know, why has that happened? And um and, and it's not that that 
value growth rotation, which has influenced the NASDAQ. What it is is situations like Fisher & Paykel Healthcare. So, you know, one of our very best companies. Um, uh, and it was a huge beneficiary of what we saw globally with respect to COVID. So, yeah, they just yeah. kept revising up their earnings outlook through the period and, and s- because they were helping. Yeah, mate, totally. And it was, it was, it was, a, it's, it's, it's such a good business. And they, and they were, they were positioned well for it. Um, and, and the quality of their product was, was in, you know, again, was in huge demand. And we saw both um, hardware and consumables um, and ventilation um, and oxygen therapy being demanded right around the world. And so that lifted and, and the expectations that suddenly got built into a continu- continuation of this for that business um, just continued to grow. Where we've got to now clearly, you know, from your early comments on the vaccines, is that we now live in a different world and people are expecting, as we've seen you know, and rather because we've seen, um, I guess, test cases such as Israel and the US, where once a, once the vaccine vaccine begins to get rolled out, you see a massive decline in hospitalisations. All of a sudden, people are repricing back that stock. So that weighed heavily on the New Zealand market last month. A2 Milk had a pretty disappointing result. And, um, you know, it's a business which um, you talk about the upgrades which have come through from Fisher & Paykel. Well, we've seen three downgrades from A2 Milk over the past six months. And again, that was one of the super darlings of this market in the, in the years prior. And and again, it was a consequence of COVID impacting their Daigo distribution channel, but that weighed on the market. And then the final one really was just a, a relocation, reallocation of capital away from some of the clean green energy stocks that we have in this part of the world. And, and that's been a really fascinating dynamic. That, that really, that took hold of the New Zealand market at the back end of last year where you know, the world is becoming increasingly conscious about directing their capital flows into areas where there is a sustainability thesis and, and theme behind it. And we're really lucky in this part of the world. You know, we have, um, albeit it's a small market, you know, we have some wonderful businesses here. And, 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 and a number of our, of our generation and electricity businesses um, are very defined by having that renewable aspect to them. So we saw tons of money flow in. And then a number of those indexes now, which that funds flow was based upon, have come back to realise that they are now you know, major shareholders in these businesses, and they've gone back to address the, the way in which those indexes are being constructed around liquidity constraints. Yeah, there was a pretty interesting development that was, was pretty unique. But in the other stock stories, it just sounds like standard sort of stuff that you'd expect. You know, you, there's, there's challenging times, there's good times, and there's businesses like um, Fisher & Paykel that can actually have um, amazing business conditions in a really challenging time. Mm, and mm. So nothing's really changed on that front. But the, um, yeah, what was going on in the, uh, within the index and those uh, electricity stocks was pretty interesting for a, for a while there. So... Um, yeah, very, uh, very interesting time for us, and one that we're getting a, a lot of uh, questions about. And uh, you know, probably as many about that as we are about the interest rates, and and grappling with them. Um, explains to people, hey, bond portfolios are going to be down if we're in a rising mm-hmm. interest rate environment like this. But it's not because there's a credit event or something going wrong. It's just this sort of repricing that we've um, that we've. We see from time to time it just happens so so quickly. Yeah. Hey, now you were spot on with the um, with the vaccine as it's turned out, and I was I was way too <laughs> conservative, but um, we uh, keep on putting each other on the uh, on the spot. So, what's your pick for when we might see the borders start to open, and, and what are the companies that you talk with are thinking about that? Because that's obviously the missing ingredient for New yeah. Zealand at the moment. Look, it's a great question. I, I know that Adrian Littlewood was presenting, who's the uh, CEO at um, at Auckland Airport, was presenting yesterday, and and he, you know, obviously was asked the question, and um, and and he was hopeful that we would get some further clarity around that today. Um, so, um, look, look, look. I don't know. I think that. Um, you 
you know, you, you would certainly hope that over, um, you know, during the course of this year, we we will see progress with it. It just it feels like such a stop start exercise to have gone through, um, and um, you know, from a from a from a New Zealanders' perspective, you know, you, you, we, we desperately want to make the progress here, um, and, um, and 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 I know everybody's sort of aching to get some confidence behind the way in which they can conduct themselves with business and travel and family and everything else. Um, from an equity market perspective, you know, a, a lot of this stuff is becoming less and less relevant because if if, if we got to a position where we um, where we were to sit there and say it's in the next three months um, and I was and I was wrong by a month or two months or three months it doesn't really matter you know the value of shares is de- determined by much longer durations of, of, of existence and cash flow and earnings that they can generate beyond that time anyway so it doesn't really matter but um, you know I certainly you know we, we want to see it as soon as possible and I think given the progress that we seem to be making with the Pfizer vaccine arriving here then um, you know we, we would hope that that, that we're in the right direction, but but how about you? What what, what are you saying? Oh, yeah, I think from a personal perspective, it'd just be fantastic if it happens over the next twelve months. It feels like an awful long time since I've seen my uh, poor old dad in Chicago. He's had his two doses now of the uh, of the vaccine, and you know he hasn't uh, he hasn't had any problems. So. Um, We've had the family test case go th- go through, and um, my partner and I is the same. She hasn't seen her parents up in Japan for eighteen months. Um, but when we're when we're um, looking at our forecasts, it's it's the missing piece in the puzzle. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't help but think there's going to be tough times for the hospitality sector, um, for aspects of um, of of travel um, and transport until the borders open. So, but hopefully, we're in the you know. 12 to 24 months with with a decent amount of certainty because of the because of the vaccine and and yet it's a case of how how we do it every time we have a flare up you sort of kick your expectations a bit further down the uh, down the calendar don't you hey and so and so what's it meant for your dad is he is he now living life in a, in a much more normal way yeah so my dad's um in his late 70s and um what it's meant is things like he hasn't there's there's not too many restrictions in in um, parts of America, yeah. um, particularly rural America, and um, but Dad's self restricted. Yeah. You know, he uh, he he he's a, he he reads and believes what he reads about the pandemic, um, and so he's just self isolated. He's he's stopped going to the YMCA to go swimming every morning like he used to. He's stopped socialising with his friends apart from being on Zoom. So for him, this means that with confidence, he's just regaining his life so it's it's like a spring for him he just feels like okay the world's the world's getting better but it was pretty pretty grim for um for him and and his friends that were all doing the same thing over the over the winter so i think it's a it's a big change it's interesting in in japan um there's a lot of stuff that doesn't seem to have changed too much apart from the fact that um sanai and i can't go and visit the parents and and we thought about it um you know I don't know about your family. My family are big huggers and all of that sort of stuff. So the lack of contact wasn't a big deal. But when we see um, Sinai's parents, like we bow and and they don't have a lot of hand to hand contact, um, like like we do. Um, but th- they miss seeing us and we miss seeing them. But it, it seems to have been a bigger deal and something that th- that Dad and his friends have worried more about in Chicago than um, than Sinai's parents have worried in, about in Japan, which has interested me. And they've sort of carried on with their life, but they haven't had a fun winter either with them. Um, Lack of family visiting as as well, so well. Hopefully, hopefully, it's sooner rather than than later, and this vaccine rollout continues to be successful. So, apart from that, hey, one of the things we, we, we haven't talked about, um, 
We talked about interest rates. We talked about the share market a little bit, but commodities—they're going—they're going nuts. Apart from being busy revising our uh, interest rate outlook, um, we've just revised up our forecast for milk prices. But other commodities, oil um, resources, are, have have gone up as well. How's that impacting um, your portfolios and, and your thoughts on the outlook for some of the big commodity stocks? Yeah, look, it's, 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 it's been a fascinating part of the market. We've, we're really fortunate where we are. We've got Tama Willis, um, who works with us as, and manages uh, money for one of the, your, your portfolios and, and is a very, very experienced guy um, in a range of areas, but in particular in the resource and commodity space, having worked overseas in that area for a long time. And um, he's caught it really well. And if you look back on the past 12 months, China really was the only major economy which didn't go into recession last year. And they, they navigated some of the earlier challenges around the, the virus in the way that they did. Um, they, the government um, ha, you know, learned some, some big lessons from going, having gone through situations with such as the GFC and some of the, the, um, the different cycles that they've experienced in the past decade. And they were quite quick in terms of pumping liquidity and support into that system. And, and what you saw was you saw infrastructure was very, very strong. You saw property was strong. Exports were actually quite, quite strong um, as people sat back in New Zealand and, and, and bought all sorts of things online. Um, domestic consumption in China it wasn't that good, and, and and largely that was probably a consequence of um, of the COVID sort of impact as well. But all that taken together, what we had last year was it was it was a really strong environment from from the biggest consumer of um, of commodities in the world. So. If you think about China, they consume 70% of the seaborne iron ore um, that, uh, that that we have. They're, they consume 50% of the metals in the world and and 15% of, of oil. So oil is a little less um, less relevant, but um, certainly for the other two, it's they are the, the the key determinant. And so you had a demand situation which which was very very strong, um, and we saw the price of iron ore, which is the most important thing for an Australia an Australian perspective, um, go you know go very very well. And you know we, even now we're still trading at around $170. A ton, which is a very high price, and it wasn't just because of the demand. What we also saw was massive supply disruptions. So Vale, one of the larger um, iron ore producers, um, takes a lot of its production out of Brazil, and Brazil's a basket case with respect to COVID. And um, so we saw massive problems there. We also saw problems in production in Australia as well um, through some poor management around um, dr- drilling and excavation from some of the major suppliers there. So, so that's gone that's gone well for us, and, and, we, and we played the iron ore names really well. And you know, if I look at say the Rio Tinto result recently. Um, the, the, the numbers are just massive, and it produces around you know the they they exceeded the dividend expectations by around twenty four percent. There's there's no debt in these businesses now, so they are just cash machines. And so so I think we've played that reasonably well. We we have taken um, some profits in some of those names recently, just because when we look at that price for iron ore, it is um it, it is in our opinion an unsustainable level. Um, China currently produces around one point one billion tons of steel per annum, and and the ratio between um, between steel production and iron ore consumption into that process is around one point six million tons. Of, uh, of iron ore to make a million tonnes of steel. So th- th- that's the framework that we think about this in. And, and I think that the, that the environment from a demand perspective in China remains robust. But uh, what I would say is that you have a government there which is super conscious about taking their foot off the accelerator before they end up with bubble situations occurring, especially in areas such as property. Um, oil's been interesting as well. So you know, the oil price is, is up around $70 a barrel now. 
um, China's less of the, the the driver here, and that's and, and I guess that's also reflected in the way in which oil seems to have moved at a later stage than, than some of those other commodities have. Um, so China consumes fifteen percent. Rest of the world is, is is the is the driver. And as we've seen, the rest of the world begin to to, to navigate their way through COVID and begin to emerge in terms of growth and normalisation of activity. You're seeing demand lift. Um, you so that's positive. You're also seeing OPEC's come out recently and 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 sort of said, look, we'll, we'll take a wait and see approach. So they're not looking to, um, to, to to make any changes there to try and drive the price down. Um, and also um, what we've seen is a, is a really challenging time for US shale producers. And um, and they are at the margin you know, quite important in determining some of these outcomes. Um, they haven't yet come back into the frame in terms of production. So you know, that environment still looks quite positive for oil. But you know, with all these things, we are super conscious around cycles. And so you, know, you, you, you just have to be really aware of the fact that these things don't go in straight lines. But um, and, and how about you from a from a, a, a milk perspective, where, where, where have you landed? Yeah, well, we we sort of started out a year ago, warning um, farmers that they sh- should brace for potentially a payout under six dollars for the season that's um, that turned out to be paying over seven. And here we are for this current season, thinking, yep, we're going to be well north of of seven seven fifty um, as as possible. And now we're starting to think, well, are we getting some signals that we're going to have a good following season as well, and we we tend to think we well we hope the milk price averages out around seven dollars over the long run. So to have gone from last year worrying about a, a sub six dollar payout to be now pretty confident that we'll see a couple of years of of comfortably north of seven dollars is is really nice. So we'll be watching particularly over the next couple of months. We we just got that massive surprise last week when prices jumped up twenty percent in in one auction. And um, being conservative economists, we tend to want to see it a, a couple of pieces of evidence before we get too carried away. Um, but but that's really making us pretty upbeat about the outlook for the next next year or two, which is which is good. Um, and we're seeing strength in other areas as well. We're pretty upbeat about horticulture. Um, but just like the um, you know it's not linear. The um, some of the uh, markets where we'd send um, meat to have been a little bit more concerning as they've still been struggling through these winter lockdowns. So it's yeah, it's not linear in, in our space that we're forecasting either. I wish it was just a nice even cross like those supply and demand graphs we drew at economics. But um, yeah, everything's happening at different paces. But but obviously as a team we're um, we're pretty happy with the general direction that things are going and and um, and just wonder where where things settle on some of the stuff like this step up we're seeing in interest rates at the moment. You know, for me over the year ahead I think the vaccine and just seeing where interest rates settle um, and and start to get some views about well when might central banks actually want to start lifting cash rates I think that's still way away but I think we'll be talking an awful lot about that over over this year as well as hoping for some overseas trips what are you uh, what are you going to be looking at apart from the usual um, pouring through results and um, and so forth over the year ahead yeah look look I, th- I, th- I think that this is a world which continues to recover I think that we have um, you know, it's. I think it's a really positive framework that we currently have for for equities as, a, as an asset class. I think, um, th- and that's on the assumption that we don't get interest rates racing away, which I don't think that we do. Um, so we have a world which is recovering. So the so the demand 
backdrop for, 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 for the goods and services that the businesses that we own um, you know, continues to improve. Uh, you've got central banks which appear as if they're going to remain very accommodative in, with respect to the policy settings that they provide. Um, I think that there, is, that there is definitely valuation support for certain sectors and stocks within the market today and some of these are really great businesses. So I think the, you know, the, the key for us now is to, is to work on the assumption that the world continues to progress towards a more normal state um, and I think there is you know, further room to go with, with respect to that and just to try and continue to manage the risk in portfolios by making sure that we don't overpay for anything and, um, and that's something that we spend a lot of time doing and, but that you know, remains our focus. Sounds like a, an interesting year that we've got ahead for us. So, uh, hey, it's just been fantastic talking with you, Slade. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming in, and I'll look forward to checking back in on uh, how some of our predictions go in uh, in twelve months' time. Thanks very much, Chris. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the ASB Investment Podcast. If you have any thoughts on today's episode, or if there's anything you'd like us to discuss on a future show. Get in touch at podcasts at asb.co.nz.